Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show where I collect my favorite stories and ideas across InfoSec, technology, and humanity, and talk about why they matter. You can subscribe to the companion newsletter, which also functions as a show notes, at danielmeisler.com newsletter. All right, episode 61 here. Got the new microphone in action. Hopefully it sounds pretty good. I'm happy with the sound and I hope you like it as well. I'm gonna start with information security. So a nasty new Gmail phishing attack is in the wild. It uses an image of a Google account login. So it looks like you're actually clicking to log in. But when you click it, it opens up another page which has an actual form. And uh, that wouldn't be so bad except for in the URL of that second page, which is the actual phishing site. It actually has the text accounts.google.com, which is evidently, you know, tricking justifiably. So a lot of people and uh, it's, it's hitting a lot of people. They're actually putting their data in. And the moment you put your data into that second form, your account is compromised. So, uh, don't fall for it and uh, let your friends slash users know if they're particularly vulnerable to this kind of thing. Microsoft is ending its practice of issuing security bulletins. So I think the next patch Tuesday will be on the new system. Um, they've been doing it for so long. It's just considered a regular part of patch Tuesday um, is, is getting these bulletins but it's now switching to an online database called the Security Updates Guide. And uh, they're claiming that it provides more customization, deeper information, and overall better functionality. So we'll see how that goes. Um, it's a big change to a process that's been going on one way for a very long time. So I imagine there'll be lots of complaints. Guccifer has released another public note saying he's absolutely not Russian. He's not Russian at all. The amount of Russian that he is equates to zero. And if anything, his Russianness would be a negative number. So uh, that's pretty much settled. WordPress released update 4.7.1, which fixed eight security issues that were pretty serious, including some cross-site scripting and cross-site request forgery. So if you run WordPress, make sure you get updated. The FBI has confirmed that Russia did in fact hack the RNC. They did not hack the Trump campaign, but they did hack the Republican National Committee. WhatsApp has denied that there's a backdoor in its communication protocol or this communication system or stack uh, that allows it to see traffic that goes over the network. So someone has alleged that this is true um, and they're denying it. Whole bunch of my buddies on Twitter spent a lot of time last week making fun of Giuliani's cyber broken website. I don't think it's as much of a signal as they think it is. And some people say, oh, it doesn't matter at all. Basically, the idea is that it's some dumb Joomla site from 2012 and it's like loosely associated with his company, but there's nothing sensitive on it. He wasn't maintaining it, wasn't his job to maintain it. So it's like, some random company does some work for you and it's associated with you in some loose way. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're trash. 
So, I mean, I get that, but uh, if you're going to be, you know, cybersecurity czar or whatever they're going to call them, you also kind of don't want to have this kind of stuff lying around because it is embarrassing. Celebrate, the Israel-based mobile phone hacking company has had 900 gigabytes of data stolen and released. The company itself is actually, they, they break into uh, mobile phones. They install basically rootkits on mobile phones and they sell their software to the U.S., various agencies in the U.S. and lots of different foreign governments, basically for spying. So people are a little bit happy about the fact that they got popped themselves by um, evidently a lone hacker of some sort. I personally think it might be true that Russia could have dirt on Trump. This is a big deal that's uh, sort of blowing up, or it was last week anyway. We'll see if it continues through to this one. I think it probably will because the story is pretty large. But uh, basically, there's a reports that there's some really nasty stuff on Trump and that... Um, you know, they could potentially be using it as leverage to control him. I personally think that uh, Trump might be the hardest person to control with with embarrassing information, like on Earth. I mean, they could potentially release like videos of him with prostitutes, and he comes out and he's like, "Yeah, that was me. Had a great time. I recommend that place. Although my hotels are better, and also Benghazi." And everyone would just be like, that makes sense. This guy, he's he's amazing. He's a leader. So I, I don't think he's afraid of embarrassing info like that. I mean, there could be something that obviously we don't know anything about this stuff. We're, it's all speculation. So it could be something that's, you know, nasty and could actually apply leverage. But I think of the people who could have, you know, things leveraged against them, he's got to be one of the least vulnerable people in the world, and especially one of the least vulnerable leaders. Feds have been spying on connected cars for 15 years, according to some studies. One of the latest techniques is evidently getting a warrant for the satellite radio in the car. You know, you ask Sirius XM and you say, hey, I need to know the current whereabouts of this person. And of course they do know because it's, uh, they're, sending it, they're sending this music to this exact location so they could provide that to law enforcement. Obama's expanding some surveillance powers before he leaves. Not sure why he's doing this right, right on his way out. Maybe it was scheduled. I'm not sure, but it's a little strange. And uh, as a result, the NSA now has more freedom to use the information that it captures during its operations. So there were some very strict controls on what, it, what parties it could give the data to. Uh, what kind of data could be given. And now, uh, evidently, it's been significantly relaxed and in the last week of uh, his presidency. Pretty interesting vulnerability, uh, actually a chain of vulnerabilities that allows you to steal passwords from McDonald's website. Chains together an AngularJS sandbox escape issue, a remember me password issue and a client side data encryption issue chains all these together and allows you to actually pop a dialogue with your decrypted password. Pretty cool. I, I love when lots of small vulnerabilities lead to something larger. FireEye has released a report detailing the tradecraft of Russia's APT28 group. 
Blizzard has banned over 10,000 gamers in Korea for nuking competitors, which is basically, you know, dosing them, knocking them offline by attacking their bandwidth or game client or both. I was surprised actually about this because I, I thought most modern games, evolved games, would have an architecture that does not allow peers to see the the other gamers that they're interacting with, especially in a in a first person shooter like that. There must be a performance reason that you can't abstract and proxy that through Blizzard. Just must be too intensive to put all all interactions up and then back down so you have to go peer to peer. Yeah, that's nasty. I mean you could basically start a game, get your list of IPs. I mean you could automate this. It'd be kind of fun actually. Not that I would do it. Find the list of IPs, spin up your your DOS system, um, you know, a botnet or whatever, and just knock them off. Especially if you're competing in ladders or whatever. I imagine there is some sort of competition, otherwise they wouldn't have gone to the effort. Actually, that's not true. Gamers will do it just for fun. St. Jude patched some vulnerabilities in some of its cardiac devices. And Shadow Brokers who have been leaking NSA toolkits have released one last sort of set of content and then they've announced that they're not going to do any more. They've closed shop. All right, technology news. DARPA is funding disposable paper drones that can carry medical supplies. Uh, Microsoft buys a deep learning startup named Maluba. And they're focused heavily on one part of AI, which is AGI, which is artificial general intelligence, which is basically the holy grail. The idea is to have just conversational general, you just throw random problems at it and it figures it out. So it's not like extremely customized and specific to a one problem set. Pretty obvious why Microsoft would be interested in that. I think they're doing amazing stuff with Cortana. You know, I'm not a heavy Windows user. But um, I love Cortana a lot more than I do Siri. I think Cortana is a lot more like, you know, a natural interface similar to the uh, Amazon one, which I won't say her name. Yeah, I, I love what they're doing. And this is a good, uh, looks like a good purchase for them. Nissan says there's a number of situations where fully autonomous vehicles won't be feasible. And in some ways, we'll have to augment uh, that that autonomous situation with remote control. So basically, there are situations that will cause an autonomous vehicle to just stop because it doesn't know what to do. And when it doesn't know what to do, it just pulls into like a safe configuration, like a drone landing, right? What they're saying is that because there are so many situations like that, if you're using these things for critical purposes and you don't want to clog up a city or something, you're going to have to have a, a person on board. Or... You could have what they're talking about in this article, which is remote control call centers, basically. So imagine you have a remote control hooked in. It's like permanently, like constantly wired, real-time wired into the system. So it's autonomous, but then there's an issue and someone in this call center would pick up within a few seconds or maybe even less than a second or whatever. And suddenly they're driving this vehicle and they drive it out of its, you know, difficult thing remotely and then uh, give the control back to the autonomous system. 
And then, of course, the final backup would be you would have a human on board and they're just not touching the wheel, but they're able to pick up if something like that happens. They gave some examples, you know, black ice and you're, you're just like spinning and you're out of control and autonomous system doesn't know what to do. And maybe remote system wouldn't either. So it's like different stages of autonomy. You have the fully autonomous, you have remote control, and then you have human. Amazon has asked the FCC for the ability to run secret wireless tests in rural Washington. I really wonder what these tests are. Uh, what are they doing in wireless? I got another story here. I'll just read it now. Amazon may be transforming before our eyes into a logistics company. And this link has a whole bunch of evidence that they're basically just, they're going to become infrastructure, which they kind of already are. I mean, they are the Google of product search. So that's already infrastructure, but you combine all their different products and projects and sort of mini efforts together. And then they're doing secret wireless tests. Just really interesting company. Graphene is becoming a truly awesome material. There's a new project from MIT created a version that has the density of only 5%. So it's like mostly air, but it's 10 times stronger than steel. Apple is entering the content creation game, supposedly going to be making like Westworld quality shows to compete with Hollywood. And Adobe is looking to allow users to edit photos using only voice commands. All right, human news. Scientists have reversed aging in mammals and are predicting human trials within 10 years. McKinsey did a study across 45 countries and 80% of the world's workers and concluded that about half the work that people can do or people do do can be automated. That's $16 trillion in wages and jobs affecting a billion people. Oxfam says eight men are now as rich as half of the world. Depressing. Australian scientists have used ultrasound to restore complete memory function in 75% of the mice that they tested. The treatment blasts away the plaque that causes the loss of function, and it actually does it without harming the surrounding tissue. And they're getting ready to move to more advanced animals like sheep for testing in 2017. U.S. cancer deaths have dropped by 25% since 1991. In just the U.S., farm employment fell from 60% in 1900 to 2% in 2000. And manufacturing rules fell from 25% in 1950 to 10% in 2010. A new gun called the iPhone gun has European authorities sort of freaking out because it goes on sale in the U.S. this week. It folds up to look exactly like an iPhone. It's very thin. And there have already been 12,000 pre-orders for this thing in the U.S. So Europe's really worried about it because they don't have any guns and they don't want, uh, they don't want guns coming in that look normal and are hard to find. People spend evidently 80% of their smartphone time in just their top three applications. It seems like a really bad piece of news for app makers. Wearables could soon know that you're sick before you do. 
This seems really obvious to me, just based on a combination of sensor data and and machine learning, which I, I think is just an unbelievable combo, which I'll talk about in a second. All right, ideas. Wrote an essay a couple days ago, basically about the trade-off between privacy, personal privacy for humans in general using tech and the functionality of IoT. So basically the more useful IoT becomes, the less privacy that we'll have. And the more privacy that we have, the less useful IoT will be. And it, it really comes down to this, that when you want a really, really rich IoT experience, and this is especially gonna be true in you know one year, two years, five years, 10 years, the more rich that experience is, the more backed it is with perfect knowledge about you, right? So the more of that knowledge about you that you provide, the more rich your experience will be. And conversely, if you hoard that knowledge and you don't let companies and systems and ecosystems know what you like, what you don't like, you know, your preferences, your contexts, um, all those different things, then um, IoT will be kind of dumb for you. You know, things will not adjust to you as much. They won't be customized. They won't be personalized. So it's a major trade-off. And um, I just, I created a little piece of art on my uh, on my iPad, little chart that shows basically a crossover period. And I put it at like 2020 or whatever. It's just an arbitrary date. Mostly wanted to show that one is going up massively, which is IoT functionality and one is going down massively, which is personal privacy, and that they will intersect. And uh, it, it's basically a choice that we need to understand. We need to understand that IoT power and experience and uh, the wow factor is absolutely powered by perfect knowledge of your preferences. And uh, we just have to understand that before we partake. I don't think we will. I think we're going to partake anyway. We're going to give it all up and we won't understand that that's what we've done. And I don't necessarily think that's bad. I think it's inevitable and I think we just need to deal with it. But ideally, we would understand that choice before we make it, which uh, I, I don't I don't think we will. I think people will just uh, rush into the functionality and not realize what they're giving away, which is uh, a little bit disturbing. All right, this next one I just wrote yesterday, I think. Um, it's the concept of active passive scanners combined with machine learning, combined with human behavior understanding will basically turn into human behavior prediction. It's, it's fascinating. So there, there's, um, I think I have a link in here. It's basically about wireless signals, being able to, an active wireless signal broadcasted inside of a room can monitor someone sitting in a chair, you know, several feet away or across the room or whatever. And because the wireless signal is active and it's going up and it's bouncing off the person, it's working at such a minute level of detail that it can watch the heartbeat inside of the person. It's watching their facial expressions. 
It's mapping those facial expressions to known expressions using machine learning and telling you what their, their uh, emotional state is. You combine that with how hard their heart is beating or how fast or whatever. So it's like what I realized, and this is why I wrote the, the piece, and I wish I had made a specific sort of point about this in the book I just released. Um, I, I did talk about this quite a bit in the real-time data chapter, but not about this active scanning technology, which I think is really interesting. But um, the idea is that it, you already have visual scanners, which are passive, which are we used to call cameras, but now they're just visual visual sensors that take in light. And before we would take a snapshot of that and a human eye would look at this snapshot, we'd be like, oh, this is cool. This is a picture. This is something that happened in the past and maybe it's associated with a memory. Well, now the game is to just hook up this visual sensor directly to machine learning algorithms and have the machine learning tell you everything that this thing is seeing, right? Oh, it's seeing grass. It's seeing a child, the child that's happy is playing soccer. Um, you know, it's this type of grass. Oh, it's a, it's a sunny day versus a rainy day or whatever. These are all things that the algorithms are figuring out from this visual sensor. Well, now you combine that with audio. Now combine that with radon detection. Now combine that with gyroscopes and accelerometers and whatever else, pressure sensors, um, LIDAR, sonar, this new wireless scanning technology that this MIT team uh, did this, you know, heartbeat measurement with. So now imagine Grand Central Station, right? You've got thousands of people going through there, but you have all these sensors. Some are active, some are passive. You got microphones, you've got, well, they used to be called microphones. Now they're just an audio sensor, right? Used to be called a camera. Now it's just a visual sensor. But you combine that with active ones, like the active wireless and the active sound and the active uh, laser, right? LIDAR. So you combine all these things together and the, the algorithms are basically going to tell you, look, this person right here, this person that's walking, that's an erratic walking pattern. So combined with their clothing choices, which it looks out of season, that doesn't look popular here. It looks like this is a foreigner trying to pretend that they're not. Um, oh, and the way they're speaking, the way their eyes are glancing around. Um, oh, and they're limping. Looks like they might have a weapon on the left side. Like the police, what are they going to do? They, they don't know any of this stuff. They're not trained enough. Maybe a few people are, but they can't train their people fast enough. And the algorithms learn at the same time. In other words, if you have one algorithm watching Grand Central Station like this, and there's another station in whatever, Chicago, that's very similar, similar makeup of the people there. Well, as this AI is learning, the one in Chicago can get updated almost instantly. This is the power of hundreds of thousands of brilliant, perfect, well, not perfect. Everything's still going to be imperfect, but, you know, brilliant, amazing officers looking at this crowd 
It's, it's like you've assigned one officer to each person and that officer has a thousand years of experience in the field. And, th and that's what we're getting. And you could just roll it out to every train station in the world, right? And it learns something today and it's, it's in the algorithm update that comes out later that night. So this stuff is insane. I mean, you're going to know that this person is fighting with that person. Oh, that's an unhappy couple. Um, oh, that's an adopted kid versus a, a natural born kid. Um, that's a step kid. Um, this person and that person across the station, they're making eye contact. They're co communicating covertly. Um, they're trying to make it look like they're not there together, but they actually are. So are they terrorists? Are they running some sort of scam to pick purses um, off of people or pick pockets or whatever? So just imagine the full power of all of the world's best algorithms focused on all the world's sensors. And, and that's the pairing. Sensor data directly to algorithms. Algorithms tell the humans what's actually going on. And, and here's the real trick. This, this is insane. A lot of people don't know this, but deep learning, machine learning, a lot of these algorithms, neural nets, they are black boxes. Nobody knows how they work. They don't explain their work. They just produce amazing results. And the reason you know they're amazing is because they predict outcomes, right? So what, what'll happen is you'll have someone, you know, walk through, you know, they're limping, they're doing this weird facial thing where they're communicating with someone across the way. And uh, maybe a cop looks at it and they're like, eh, I don't know, maybe, right? But the AI freaks out. And the AI is like, oh, 79% chance that this person's going to do something bad within 72 hours or whatever, right? And uh, how does it know that? Well, it's training data, right? It, it, knows, it knows it because of training data. It knows it because they linked. This, this system was trained by an event that was similar to that, that actually resulted in some sort of negative outcome later on. And that's, that's how they're getting, to, you know, that's how they're connecting these dots. Um, but it, it won't necessarily tell you exactly what the factors were because it doesn't even necessarily know. That's what's so crazy about this, uh, this deep learning stuff. It's just, it's just fascinating. <coughs> so uh, that's what the post is about. I would check it out. It's basically about like I said, it, the combination of sensors with machine learning, right? It's, uh, it's going to be a whole new world. Um, it's as big as most of the other concepts in AI that people are talking about. Um, not many people are understanding how this, this pairing of the sensor data is just going to change how we see everything. I mean, you're going to hook up these sensors. You're going to get the readouts from the, from the algorithms. And they're just going to overlay using AR. They're going to overlay truth to you in a way that you just cannot even fathom. It's uh, amazing and terrifying at the same time, in my opinion. All right. So that was that one.
All right. Uh, here's another one I wrote. One way to get information from someone who wouldn't otherwise give it to you is to ask them to help you customize something for them. It's basically an attack on the ego. And it's like a really, really cool hack. And the example I gave was you walk up to someone and you're like, hey, tell me what your preferences are. And they kind of look you up and down. They're like, no, that's private. So you rewind time and you walk up to them and you're like, hey, I heard you're really important. I have this amazing car right here that I'm going to customize just for you. And they're like, okay, that sounds great. Here are all my preferences. So you asked almost the same thing where you asked for exactly the same data. But in one case, you're, you're basically feeding their ego by saying you wanted to make something amazing for them because they're special. And in the other case, you just asked for the information. Actually, it reminds me of this uh, book I read called Influence, which talks about one of these massive major human uh, vulnerabilities in the psyche, which is uh, if you ask for something um, that's uncomfortable for someone else, <clears throat> um, they're likely to say no. Like if you say, hey, can I jump forward in line? And you just stop this, the question there, they'll say no. If you say, can I jump forward in line, comma, because, and it doesn't matter what you say after because. If you just say, comma, because, and you say something, they'll be like, oh, okay. So like you, you've, given a, you've given a reason and people are, are trained like all the way back through evolution to just trust reasoning. This because of that, this because of that. There's an explanation for how reality works. And it's like a major hack that just lets people, you just say, hey, can I jump ahead in line? Because, um, you know, I just, I got to go later. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm late for something and I got to go first. They're just like, uh, okay. But if you're just like, can I cut in line? You don't give a reason. They're like, no, go pound sand. So some more sort of hack. It's just uh, the way the brain works. Oh, this one's crazy. Uh, not my idea, not my essay. Um, this is from a guy named David Brooks, who is actually a columnist. Uh, he's a conservative columnist for the New York Times. And he writes that there are two kinds of attributes, resume attributes and eulogy attributes. And he asks, which ones are you cultivating? And if you're only cultivating the resume ones, that's fine. But do not cultivate the resume attributes in yourself at the expense of the eulogy attributes and make sure that you're doing some sort of work, you know, for every period of time that you care about, you know, every year, every week or every day that sort of advance your eulogy attributes. I thought it was a fascinating concept. It's actually how he opened the books, like his first uh, sentence or paragraph from this book I'm reading of his thought it was a really cool idea. And, uh, Oh, this book I'm reading just perfectly explained Trump's cabinet picks. So I'm reading a book called the dictator's handbook, which my buddy Steve Crapo recommended. And, uh, 
it's it's about politics, but it's not political. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it on this podcast. Uh, basically, the idea is that we think about governments incorrectly. We think about them too much as these names of democracy, uh, dictatorship, um, autocracy, um, monarchy, whatever. And that these terms are kind of false because the real game is happening at a different layer. And what this book, what this book does is it describes that real game. And it's all about an inner circle. It's all about a selectorate. It's all about um, who within the selectorate actually does choose the, the person. And most importantly, it's about the inner circle and how you protect that inner circle because they're the ones who keep you in power. And uh, this is just a little bit of analysis on, on how it applies to the current situation. But um, yeah, it's, it's not really pro for or against any, any particular side. Uh, otherwise, like I said, I wouldn't be talking about it. But um, yeah, fascinating stuff. It, it, oh, and the book gives just tons of examples all throughout history of like, oh, you think this one was a good government. You think that one was a bad government. Well, they're both doing exactly the same thing. Let me show you how. So big thing I'm into is models of how things work, right? And uh, that's exactly what this was. It was a, it's, it's a model for how government works that just works at a completely different level than how most people think of governments. Just uh, really cool concepts. All right, discovery. The blue team field manual. So basically it's like a pen tester red team manual except for for defensive side. NIST 800-184, Guide for Cybersecurity Event Recovery. Carolyn Wong is doing some great writing on pen testing, bug bounties, and security metrics at her new uh, gig at, uh, with Cobalt. .io, which is a bug bounty company. <clears throat> and uh, this particular series that I linked to is on using G GQM for InfoSec metrics. Really like all of her writing over there. Um, <clears throat> I know her from a pre previous life. Uh, we did some work together um, at a particular customer, but uh, she writes a lot about metrics. She wrote a book about security metrics and uh, really loving her writing over there at Cobalt. So uh, I recommend you check that out. Syntax DB, a search engine for your programming syntax. This is a really cool project. Wave Converter, a tool for reverse engineering RF signals. A list of the best DFIR presentations from 2016. A uh, cool blog post here about if you don't finish, then you're just busy, not productive. Decent security. This is InfoSec Taylor Swift's advice on performing basic security activities. I've seen her tweet about it before. I didn't know it was like a major project for her. Um, and I took a look just now and it looks pretty nice. Napa cards. It's really NAPA cards, data-driven storytelling. I have this link open. I looked at it. It looks absolutely just really interesting. Um, I'll probably write about it more after I dig a bit deeper. Find lectures, thousands of audio and video lectures. 
got a link there. Power Memory, a PowerShell-based tool for exploiting the credentials in memory. Viz.js. This is GraphViz, the software, but in your browser. I was just messing with it. It's super cool. A link to PagerDuty's incident response documentation. And Handmade Hero. This guy is writing a game, a video game, from the ground up, and he's doing it live streaming on Twitch. I'm going to be checking that out for sure. Some notes. My book, The Real Internet of Things, is now available on Amazon. I got the link. If you uh, have not got a copy, you should do that. I think you will like it. And uh, if you have already got a copy or read it or some combination thereof, do me a favor and leave a review. That would be awesome. Oh, I finished reading Naked Economics by Charles Whelan. And I'll be doing my summary soon. I'm actually probably going to link to an external summary. Fascinating book. I just love that book so much. Learned so much about economics. Currently reading The Dictator's Handbook, which is the one I was just telling you about from that blog post that I did. And the subtitle is Why Bad Behavior is Almost Always Good Politics. Did a podcast with my buddy Jason Haddix about CES, and it should be up on the Bug Crowd website probably tomorrow or Tuesday. And uh, I've upgraded my microphone for podcasting, now using the RE27, which, uh, which hopefully sounded good because you've been listening to it. Uh, recommendations. If you're disillusioned with politics, you should check out Radical Centrism. It's a fascinating approach to political ideology basically takes from all sides, right? It takes from like conservative concepts, you know, whatever, progressive, liberal, basically takes all this stuff together, basically says, I don't care about any of it. I want the best ideas from wherever. And I heard about it from Charles Whelan's books on economics um, and statistics. And this is evidently his sort of political approach is uh, radical centrism. I, I love the concept. I'm not going to jump in and just, you know, label myself that or anything, but it's definitely worth looking at. And I've got a link to uh, Wikipedia on it. Second recommendation, think more about your eulogy attributes and whether or not you are working on them every day. And for the aphorism for the week, love this one. This is uh, kind of an OPSEC type of aphorism. Never write if you can speak. Never speak if you can nod, and never nod if you can wink. And this is Lamasny's Law. All right, that's it for this episode, and uh, see you next time. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, you can get the show notes for this episode, including all the news, ideas, and links, in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.